in a strange turn of events, we are actually the ones recording in the evening now and not Alvaro. Alvaro is asleep. Um, oh, it's so much better. It is a lot better. I think we should find a way to just make him stay up a lot um, so that we can have the pleasant evening recording experience, Josh. This this feels like a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just a little weird having this beer next to me currently. Like, I can't really have that on a Sunday morning. It just seems a little odd. Sure, it's next to you. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. I believe you. Um, we, we shouldn't be rude, though. We actually have a third person on the call. We are welcoming back our uh, friend of the show, Drew Kaufman. Drew, hello. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Drew is uh, currently coming to us from Florida, but as we've discovered, that is soon not going to be the case anymore. Uh, so that's super exciting for him. And I think this is this is the first time I've officially met Drew. Like, I think I've worked with Drew for like uh, yeah, six months to a year. But hey, nice to finally meet you, man. Yeah, well, you know, if you listen to my my last guest on the Candid podcast, maybe you feel like you know me a little bit more. But right, exactly. I've I've heard your voice enough times now that it feel it feels right. It feels right. Okay, well, that, that's good to know. Although, I'll take that as a compliment in a weird way. Group <laughs> <laughs> hug. So the first show without Alvaro, though. It is. It is. It's a little strange. We we don't have our our uh, Baron of Barcelona with us today. So right, we are still international, though. That's true. Just not interocean,al or whatever. Yeah, is that a word? Or I hope so. Otherwise, I sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so this has been a crazy week for news. We're, we're kind of getting into that Photokina season where all the camera companies make us take out our wallets and cry. Um, and so this week, um, there's, there's two pieces of news that we kind of want to go over because they're important. Um, but we also have a really amazing main topic today. We're going to talk a little bit about Unsplash and how... Um, how Unsplash and other sites like it have started promoting um, a very different way for photographers to showcase their work and what the implications of that are. So very excited. Um, Stay tuned for that. Deep topic. Yeah, deep topic. Uh, So we want to make room for it, which is why I think we should just dig right in. Um, Let's start with Canon. Everyone loves Canon. And Canon has announced their their 5D Mark IV, which is kind of... um, I guess it doesn't count as their flagship, but it's it's sort of I think of it as their everyman's professional camera. Like it it casts a wide net. Yeah, is this their Iron Man uh, model? Is it the Mark IV in Iron Man, where that it it constantly like disconnects and blow up blows up on itself? Oh, that's a good sign. I don't remember if it was the Mark IV in Iron Man. Yeah, but actually, in all honesty, though, like it's actually. Imp- I, Okay, I'll let you guys start because I'm actually kind of impressed, like sitting here reading the spec sheet. You know, there's some, you know, there's some bad moments, but I'm impressed from the outside looking in. All right, Drew, what's your hot take? We'll start with you. Well, you know, this is probably not going to be the greatest hot take, but as a, as a new Leica Q owner, this does very little for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I actually, I grew up on Canon, so to speak. I had a Canon Rebel um, T3i. That was really the first camera that I, I learned on. Uh, and I kind of progressively upgraded my Canon cameras for for quite a few years, and so I have a, a natural affinity for the for the organization and, and for the cameras that they make. Right. But man, just for the last you know few years, it just has felt like stagnation. And the specs are great, uh, but there's just nothing that feels new or fresh about these cameras to me. Um, and and maybe even just aesthetically, that's a that's a thing that I'm I, I'm seeing that. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm putting too much of an emphasis on, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not doing it for me. Yeah, that's fair. 
that's fair. Fair. I mean, you, you see, I think you're the consensus. Like from what I gather, there's a lot of people who are kind of like, there's just this big collective meh going on. Well, the collective meh is, is partly unfair and partly, um, I find it a little uh, surprising only because, I, I mean, I don't know what people were expecting. Right. This is a very canon update. Yeah. Like this is this is exactly the kind of iterative step forward that a company like Canon has always taken. Like they've never really been the ones pushing the technical envelope forward uh, in flashy ways. Like I think there's a lot of technology in here that is unique and is worth um, highlighting, but it's also not, um, it's not the Sony a7 series camera um, of the DSLR world. I think that's that's a role that perhaps Nikon is is more uh, equipped to to fill. Hmm. I was going to say, like, what would you say is? Because, boy, are they all, like, boring. Yeah, I mean... If that's the case. They're boring, but they're boring in a very attractive way um, for the audience that they're aimed at, right? I mean, these are yeah, really... Yeah, that's fair. That's these fair. are really not prosumer-focused cameras, and for, for better or worse, there's still this kind of... Um, prevailing impression uh that that mirrorless as a as a whole technology is still prosumer rather than professional and we're only just starting to turn that tide Uh, so for a lot of photographers i think that this is just um, a natural upgrade and the only question is really um whether or not it's uh whether or not the features that they brought to the table are going to justify an upgrade for their use case um Maybe just at, for, for those who, who maybe haven't seen the news reports or things like that, I'll just breeze through the, the key specs here. So uh, the sensor has been upgraded from 22 megapixels to 30.4. Um, it's got a single digit 6 plus processor in it. Uh, it's now capable of shooting 4K video, and it is the full DCI, you know, 4096 pixel uh, width rather than the 3086 or whatever it is, the, the sort of almost 4K. That's great. Um, 30 frames per second is as fast as that goes. They also have 1080p at, I believe, up to 60 frames per second and then 720p at up to 120 frames per second. So um, we'll circle back to that. Uh, They have 61 autofocus points right now. 41 of them are cross points. Um, They brought the dual pixel autofocus technology that I think first showed up in the 70D. Was that the the first one? I don't remember which the first one was, but it's certainly in the 80D. Um, and it's basically a, um, a technology that allows them to do some very cool autofocus stuff uh, during video recording. And uh, it's got Wi-Fi built in. It's got GPS built in. It's got NFC built in. It has a touchscreen, uh, not articulating, but it is odd. a touchscreen. Very odd. Um, and they've also built this uh, dual pixel raw thing. Um, I call it a thing. It's basically... The way that they've done it is they've uh, they've made it so that the camera can actually record raw files that are twice as big as they would normally be, because instead of um, instead of combining the information from um, the quote unquote left and right facing let's say pixels um, on the sensor, they actually allow them to remain separate. And then in post production, if you use their software, um, you actually get the ability to choose which of them you want to use. And the neat thing about that is it it actually allows you to do some cool tricks that uh, I don't think I've seen on any other camera. I don't I don't think this technology exists anywhere else. Um, how useful it is is of questionable, um, you know. But but still, it's it's kind of cool. So those are the specs, um, sort of a bird's eye view. 
there's a few of them that stand out to me as worthy of discussion. One of them is the uh, the 4K recording. I think that was a natural step. Um, but I don't know about you guys. I feel like they did not. Um, I'm not I'm not convinced that they made a compelling enough case for an upgrade with the 4K capabilities that they built in here. I'm not a videographer. I can, like I can hardly hardly comment. But um, are you asking like from just a videography standpoint whether it's worth the upgrade or from in general? See, here's the thing. Like for example, the agency we have a 5D Mark III, and that's currently our B cam because it doesn't do 4K. And so we're considering, is it worth selling the Mark III to upgrade to the Mark IV? Because then at least all of our cameras shoot in 4K, which would be great. Um, However, there are a few very strange limitations of this 4K. One of the worst is that the HDMI output, which is how on the GH4, for example, we're able to get very high bitrate footage that's actually too big to be written to the internal card without it overheating. We record it externally, and we do that by feeding a 4K signal Uh, at a high bitrate out over an HDMI cord into a separate device. Looks like a little screen. Um, So that's really cool. And I was expecting that the same kind of thing would be possible on the 5D Mark IV, except that the early reviews seem to indicate that the HDMI output is capped at 1080p at 60 frames per second, which means there is no 4K output over HDMI, which means internal recording of 4K is it. Uh, which is not great. And you might like melt your camera in the process. Well, no, I mean, I'm sure that it's capable of <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah, it's honestly, but, <laughs> uh, but still it's, it's kind of sad because um, one of the biggest factors that made the 5D so popular was um, videographers. When the Mark II came out, they discovered that its video capabilities were so good that they were able to actually replace, um, you know, dedicated video cameras and shoot things with their DSLR. And then you buy one camera, it's great for photography, but you can also do video work. Makes perfect sense. Um, And so I think that Canon's in a rough spot in terms of making this decision because they've since put out their cinema line of cameras. And so if they were to make the 5D Mark IV too good at video, then people wouldn't want to buy the cinema line cameras for, you know, the C100, the C300, and so on. Um, And I think that Canon wants to sort of draw a line in the sand and say, look, up to a certain level, you're going to be okay with the 5D Mark IV. But if you're doing professional level video, buy our more expensive video-focused bodies, um, you sucker. (laughs) That seems exactly like what's happening, yeah. And I think that's part of my disappointment is... It, it it seems like they're they're kneecapping their own products um, instead of allowing them to evolve in ways that allow people to use them um, and feel excited about them. Uh, and so this is just an iteration that a few people will be happy about, but everybody else is going to shrug their shoulders over. Yeah, and that's ultimately the uh, the the strange thing. It's the funny thing is the commentary on the internet right now. People are celebrating the fact that the previous generations are going to come down in price and finally be accessible. <laughs> <laughs> that's the big. <laughs> that's sad. Classic. Um, which is funny, but it's yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, it remains to be seen. One of the things that I'm most curious about, and we we don't know as of this recording, um, is what the sensors actually like in terms of dynamic range performance and uh, right. They've been like they've been bragging about something new, haven't they? Uh, sort of. I, I I'm a little unclear. That's that's why I'm I'm kind of hesitant to to say anything because right now, until we start getting some concrete 
raw files to work with and some some um, metrics coming out of the uh, DP reviews and so of the world, uh, we, we kind of just don't know how it performs. And it's interesting because typically we think of Nikon as having the much better dynamic range in their sensors, better low light performance, so on and so forth. That actually kind of didn't ring true with the uh, the Nikon D5, which is their current flagship. They kind of took a step backward there. How can that even happen anyway? It makes no sense. I don't, it's, you know, they, they made compromises. They they pushed right. other areas. Here's a camera. It's worse than the one that we recorded. <laughs> that we released four years ago well no i mean one aspect one aspect is slightly worse okay, here fair, so much fair, it's better fair. like it's always a balancing fair enough. anyway so i'm i'm curious about that i think basically that's going to be the deciding factor for us um because i can live with internal recording of 4k i think as long as the footage itself is very rich in terms of what we can pull out of it in the post-production phase. So, so, but my question to you is, can you live with the price? Because that's the biggest thing that I've read about is, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, our pal Drew is sitting down in Florida right now, you know, enjoying those awesome U S dollar prices. <laughs> and even in U S dollars, this is an expensive body. And so it's $3,500. Now, what was the five D Mark three, like 25? Is that right? Uh, I don't think so. U.S. I don't, U.S. I'm not, okay, well, well, either way, Canadian, it starts at $4,500. Yeah. $4,500 Canadian dollars. Yeah. Like, I can, I can buy a, a, a 5D Mark III and a lens, like an L lens, for the same price. Yeah. That's expensive. It is a very expensive camera. And I think, honestly, this is what, like, for the people who are grumpy about it, what they're grumpy about is not so much that Canon only took an iterative step forward with the technology and the camera. It's that they're charging as though they had revolutionized the industry. Right. Like one one step forward in iteration and one giant leap in price. Exactly. Exactly. And, <laughs> and honestly, honestly, I wonder if they're trying to like shift their product line a little bit, like position the 6D as the new 5D and thus push the 5D into a higher professional price tier like i think I, it's a matter of sony can do it so we can do it too i guess so i guess so it's a very strange it's a very strange pricing choice um because it is going to price itself out of people's reach yeah this is expensive so expensive even for a professional who's going to use it and that's what this thing is geared at like i when i read this spec sheet i see like wedding photographer that's that's what i see me too and uh, like modern modern wedding wedding photographer like somebody who's kind of wanting to keep up and use a touchscreen. Like I, I don't use a touchscreen personally, but I can see how some people might. Um, but what I see here, like I said, screaming wedding photographer and yeah, some of them are going to upgrade it. You know, 30 megapixel sensor, there's more file to work with. Uh, I would, that, that to me is from 22 to 30 is a big jump. And I, I would love to have that, but, but at $3,500, like that, that'll price the average wedding photographer out, I would be willing to bet. Probably. Um, well, I mean, not the high-end ones. And especially... Yeah, this, no, no, for sure not. For sure not. But you know what I mean. This is the thing, though. Like, we we look at this price and we say, oh, my God, $3,500, holy crap. In our case, $4,500, holy crap. But we have to remember that in a case where you are already a professional, right? Like this is not baby's first camera. This is, you already have a system. You've already got an established kit. There's always an upgrade path. So I'm thinking of this from our perspective. Like we, like I said, we've got the 5D Mark III. If we decide this is a worthy upgrade, we can still make two grand or so selling the 5D Mark III. Good point. Which means that we're only paying the difference. And at that point, it's like, okay, is it worth $2,000 right. or $2,500 right. 
uh, to upgrade. And that's suddenly a much more appealing. And let's say right now you've got a 5D Mark III, which is your workhorse, and you've got a Mark II maybe that's your backup. Well, now the Mark II can be sold and those still have value too. Exactly. So good point. Very good point. That's the thing is that they retain their value, these 5Ds. They really do, surprisingly so actually. And and so it's for a lot of people, the upgrade is a lot less painful. I think the, the price point is really, really painful for people who are in fact... Um, entering. Entering, exactly. For them, this yeah. is going to yeah. just hurt. There's no way around it, um, especially if you're buying multiple bodies. Right, and especially, not not for you Leica owners, though, hey? Well, Drew's already got one on pre-order, I imagine. Oh, yeah, totally. That's why That's why he's been so quiet. He's He's been pre-ordering it. <laughs> <laughs> so, not only did they announce this new, are we good with the Mark IV? Like, I, we could probably go on forever. We could, but let's not. Okay. Well, can I ask a qu- question about it really quick? Yeah, which, I, I just am curious. Is this is this dual pixel raw thing, which I was unaware about? Is this sort of like that Lytro, um, those Lytro camera effects, where you can you can in post focus in different spaces? That's exactly what it's like. Um, but Canon has been really careful to actually say don't compare it to Lytro because we th- basically what this does is nowhere near as extreme as the way that Lytro's technology works. So oh, right, and Lytro sucked. So the the way that this works. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, the way that this works is in terms of the actual focus correction, you can fix maybe like an inch or less worth of uh, focus accuracy, right? So it's still very useful. I mean, the way that they're marketing it is they're saying, hey, if you're shooting wide open with a prime at full frame, like if you're using their 50 mil uh, f1.2 prime, it is monstrously difficult to get things in focus um, with that razor thin depth of field. So if it misses, then you have an opportunity in post to get it back to where it should be. Hey, that's smart. Which is really, really good. I mean, that's that's the difference between, you know, a keeper and not a keeper in a wedding scenario. So that's that's something important. Um, the other the, the other two things that they highlight um, that you can do with this is actually move the bokeh around, change the character of the bokeh a little bit, which I, I have to see what that looks like to really understand what it means. But I oh, figured man. that's for Sold. you, Josh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sold. I didn't even have to say it. You made the joke for me. Excellent. I can change him from football shaped to cat's eye shaped. Oh, my God. Or elephant trunk shaped. <laughs> you and your bokeh. Uh, the other thing that you can do is actually entirely eliminate flare um, because of the way that flare is captured by the sensor. Apparently, if you flip to the other set of pixels, it's just not present there. So if you get an image and flare has ruined it, this technology will presumably allow you to fix the image. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's it's kind really of difficult cool. to understand right now because, like I said, I'm pretty sure this is the first camera that it's ever shown up on. So we don't really have a good sense of of what it does in practice. Um, which is why, again, I'm, I'm going to look forward to the in-depth technical reviews that kind of put it through its paces and uh, and find a way to illustrate what the effect is so that we can see it. DP review to the rescue. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, Josh, you were going to tell us about the lenses. Oh, I, I, I don't really know a whole lot about them. All I know is that they announced a bunch of them. And they're, they're on their third generation of a 16 to 35 millimeter f2.8 L lens. Like third generation yeah you know i was saying to marius earlier i'm kind of surprised sony's only got one generation out there they've only been out for like a year and by now you'd have expected they would be on their third generation of lens but no like canon has made it their mm-hmm. first yeah i think this is the first mark three that they've got in the lineup am i right drew i because i know they've got other mark two versions of lenses but i think this is the first third gen i don't know any other ones yeah yeah um, so just to be specific, other than the 16 to 35, they've also um, put out a, a, a revised version of the 
24 to 105 f4L, which um, is kind of the classic kit lens actually that comes with the 5D Mark III. Right. Such a good focal range, like a solid focal range. And F4, actually pretty solid. It is the lens that we do. It stays glued to our 5D. That's basically... Why wouldn't that's, it? Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful lens. Um, so if they've managed to improve it, I you know can't wait to try it. That sounds great. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got these lenses. We don't really know much else about them. Again, it's one of those things where whether or not it's worth whatever the price difference is going to be for you to trade up, uh, you know, you'll have to see um, once the reviews come out and you can actually pixel peep at them right right how about your in your little uh, green fuji world apparently something came out there this week yeah man so i was at an event yesterday where fuji actually Ooh, i was at an event, I was at an event. Oh, I was lucky at... dog i know i sound so fancy <laughs> I, I apologize um but it was it was actually not at all what i was expecting so they they invited me because they were opening a store and they didn't tell me anything about it so i was thinking like oh it's going to be a leica style experience store or something like that um Instead, it turns out to be this totally print-focused thing, um, which is why I'm kind of sad that Alvaro's not here because he would be very excited about it. They, um, they're basically finding a big resurgence in the demand for print, so they've started to try and think of what a, uh, a print shop would look like in 2016. Wow. Um, and basically, it's, it's built around the idea that whereas people used to print things uh, like albums for the purpose of sort of preserving photos and memories and things like that, nowadays... Um, apparently there's a, there's a tremendous demand for people who want to, uh, buy like gifts and decorative, uh, items made with their photographs. And they really like the idea of being able to just snap something on their phone and then get all sorts of cool, different basic print sizes and Instagram style square prints and canvas prints and things like that. Uh, so anyway, they've, they've opened this store in downtown Toronto and it's apparently one of eight around the world. Uh, and what it is, is like, um, it's got a selection of little kiosks and things like that where you can actually just connect your smartphone or connect your camera or even bring in a CD uh, if you're one of those people. What? Say that again. Bring bring in a what? A CD. You know those disc things that used to hold music and... Compact. Compact. Mm. Yeah. They oh, were... man. This is like... <laughs> What? I know. <laughs> anyway. I know. But, you know, it's it's good because some people have a lot of uh, of photos backed up in that format. So I guess. Oh, that way. Okay. I thought maybe people still burnt them. Like, I don't know. Anyway. I don't. You know what? I would, I'm just <laughs> reciting what I saw. So anyway, those kiosks are fun. They've got these big touch screens and great graphics and you get to sort of pick and choose. And they have like a shuffle thing where they'll uh, assemble photos into a collage for you and print that. Uh, obviously, they've got a lot of Instax products there you can buy i was gonna it. say it's like fuji instax to the nines exactly exactly so it's got like you can buy all the instax cameras and film and um they also have their sort of consumer focused cameras available there so you won't find the x pro 2s or anything like that but they do have the xa series and the uh the tough ones the oh no sorry tough is olympus uh the xp 90 and whatever the other ones are the this weird looking colorful ones tough is so much easier to say than xp90 <sighs> but anyway you know what the olympus one has a crazy letter thing as well it's just like tough and then the the garbage after it so oh <laughs> whatever <laughs> uh anyway the exciting thing about that event was that they also kind of um i spotted the uh the new 23 millimeter f2 uh which is now officially announced and also the XA3, which is kind of their entry-level X body. Uh, it's it's interesting because it's the one that does not have an X-Trans sensor. 
Um, but they did put a 24 megapixel sensor in it. It's uh, APS-C sized, but it uses a Bayer um, pixel array instead of X-Trans. Yeah, you you should humor me for a second here. Like, So it's a CMOS sensor, CMOS or whatever they call yeah. it, correct? Yeah. Uh, and the difference between that and X-Trans is what? Maybe you can like lay it out in layman's terms. So the, the difference is basically in the way that pixels are um, arranged on the sensor and the difference that that makes and the difference that they're interpreted uh, in the way that they're interpreted basically changes certain things about the image. So there's a lot of debate on whether or not the X-Trans array actually provides any benefits over a normal CMOS sensor with a Bayer array and no anti-aliasing filter. Because the big thing that they say about X-Trans is that you don't get moiré, which is true, and that noise might be better and you might get more detail and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of a point of contention between Fuji and other people on the internet about whether it's like an actual difference or it's just a different approach to solving the same problem. Right. Right. Um, but in any event, they, they feel very strongly about it from a branding perspective to them. Having an X trans sensor is what uh, sets their main professional bodies apart from the rest. So here they've put in a, a standard CMOS sensor with a Bayer array Presumably, it's still good. You know, same megapixel count as the XT2 and X Pro 2. Uh, it's just a different, different sensor. Drew, what is what does the Leica Q have for what? Uh, what kind of sensor is it? Is it a CMOS sensor, or or does Leica have some of their own, or how does that work? Uh, that's a good question. I, it's a yeah, it's a 24 megapixel, right? Um, I think it is right. CMOS. But I don't know exactly where it comes right. from. Right, because I, I think people like were rolling over, dying when one of the like the M9 went to a CMOS sensor, right? Yeah, because initially they had CCD sensors, I think, in the uh, in, in right. the first generation. Like, oh, I can just imagine people going crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, they said it lost it lost its soul <laughs> and everything like that. Actually, the funny thing is, Fuji went through the same thing because the initial uh, X100 had a CCD sensor, hmm. and then they changed it, and people were like, "Ah, it doesn't have the soul anymore." Where does this XA3 <laughs> fall in line with, say, the? Um what is it called the x70 basically it's got a higher megapixel count and it has interchangeable lenses so it's the entry level into the interchangeable lens family it's actually to me i think this is a more compelling camera than the x70 right now because you can buy into it for the same price but you get access to their whole lens ecosystem there's a lot more growth room and uh, you get a lot of the same benefits as the x70 in terms of size but you also get the higher megapixel count that you would have gotten if you'd gone for an X-Pro2 or an X-T2. So it's really, it's a very compelling camera. I have a review unit coming that I, I look forward to trying out because I think it might actually become my recommendation as a sort of entry-level uh, Fuji. Yeah, this is great. Essentially. Yeah. I was telling you over like, I think, direct message a while ago that I, I've heard of quite a few people talking about the X-70 still. Um, and I always recommend yeah. it and point them to your review because I think it's a great camera for people who are looking to get into cameras and, and want something that's mirrorless and easy to use, um, but also has a good life ahead of it. Um, but this XA3 is really intriguing. Yeah. So it's cool that there's another new option that, you know, is 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 brand new, is, is a part of 2016. How do you feel about the fact that every single review talks about how it's perfect for selfies? <laughs> you know what? I, I would find it comical if it weren't for the fact that Fuji is also comically obsessed with co uh, with talking about how great it is at, at selfies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense then. On stage during the presentation, they're like, oh my God, it's so good at selfies. It does selfies. 
Notice the articulating screen for selfies. <laughs> it has Wi-Fi for selfies. Easy transfer of selfies. Like, honestly, the word selfie was used too many times in describing this camera. I think that they have a huge market, huge, huge market, and they're trying to position this camera as the one that people think of when they're like, I want something to take selfies with, but better selfies than with my phone. Okay. They want to be like XA3. Doesn't Olympus have one of those? Oh, I'm drawing a blank right now. The Pen 7, is that right? Does that one have a, a screen that articulates that far? I think one of them, did. one of those pens does, yeah. It did, but it's old. It's old. Right. And it doesn't come in What pink. does old mean? Like a, a year and a half? No, the Pen 7's <laughs> old, man. It's yeah. old. Oh, okay, so the Pen, the pen Light 7 or the Pen L? Or, wow, I'm, one of those is relatively new. Nah, they're old. And they don't come in pink. Uh, well, and, and that's what, you know, there's a big demographic for that, without a doubt. You're, you're a big fan of the film simulations that come from these Fuji cameras, right? Yeah, big fan. Yeah, and that those are present in here, right? For the most part? All except for Acros. Of course. Which one's that? Acros is the special black and white one that they introduced with the X-Pro2 that actually requires um, the smarter and faster processor because it, do, it handles noise and grain and things like that differently. Uh, it's not sort of a static filter. It's an algorithmic one. And uh, so it... it theoretically cannot be run on older cameras or cameras without the fancier X processor pro or whatever they called it. Well, that, well that's good that there's no, there's no uh, limitations for limitations sake, at least. Yeah, no, it does seem like there is a technical limit because of the computational intensity of, of applying that filter. So it, it, for now it's only available on the X-T2 and the X-Pro2, um, but you get all the other ones. I think there's 11 in total um, and all the cool ones, like people love classic Chrome. That one's available on the XA3. Uh, you get the Pro Neg High and Pro Neg Standard ones, which are two of my favorites. So it's, again, like like I said, it's, it's actually, I think it's going to become my recommendation for people's on-ramp into the Fuji ecosystem because it allows them to get access to the lenses and then they can buy lenses, they keep the lenses and if they want to upgrade the body, that's, you know, it's easier down the road. And they can take great selfies. <laughs> That's you bet, That better be the first thing that you say when you recommend the camera. Yeah, absolutely. Do you take selfies? Well, have I got a camera for you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. The other, the only other Fuji thing uh, is the the 23mm f2. We, we kind of knew this was coming. The rumors have been pretty vocal about its existence for a while now. It is literally a companion to the 35mm f2, the, the very compact, weather-sealed um partner lens that was launched alongside the X-Pro2. They're very similar in size. They look very similar. They use the same lens hood, um, and they're both quite affordable. I think the list price for this 23 is uh, $450 US, um, which is amazing. And also, it apparently has like even faster autofocus mechanics than, uh, than the 35mm, which is impressive because that lens focuses very, very fast. So... Um, should be a great pairing. I look forward to trying one. And I think that if uh, if Alvaro was ever to get into the Fuji system, a really like affordable way for him to do so would be XA3 and this 23mm F2. He'd love that. Wow. Are we done talking about gear? Yeah, man. Let's talk about cool things. We're, we're going to be talking about gear for the next six weeks after Photokina. Right. Like, uh, Alvaro's going to pump that stuff down our throats because he's going to be there. I can't. I just can't wait for him to go. That's going to be yeah, cool. We're a little jealous. He does have a press pass. He's going to be live blogging the whole thing. Bit. He, he actually live blogging. He didn't say that. I, I've said it on air, so now he has to do it. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Lots of gear to come in the next six weeks here on Candid FM. Anyway, we have a big topic today, or a huge topic, one that I, I'm kind of excited about because it's actually um, 
to be entirely honest, it's this topic has ushered in um, a huge changes into my life and not just like not photo- photographic life, like my life. Um, I would argue that th- this topic actually has led to uh, a recent house purchase for, for my wife and I. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, but the big thing is that Drew is actually the real expert. So I'm going to, I got to hand it over mostly to him. You just said that you, you purchased a house because of it, but I get to talk about it anyways. Well, you know, it doesn't make me an expert. It just makes me maybe lucky. But but seriously, though, like this topic around Unsplash, like Unsplash has just kind of, I wouldn't say come out of nowhere. Like it's been around for a little while, right, guys? Like, yeah. Yeah, but it's evolved a lot. It's it's evolved a lot from its humble beginnings into what it is now. And I think that, uh, uh, I mean, Drew, Drew wrote an amazing article on uh, Extra Textuals, which is, of course, his wonderful blog. Um, and I think I'm going to just have Drew walk us through it because his story is, is the story of a lot of different photographers nowadays and and that's kind of what we want to dig into so yeah drew tell us tell us what happened here what what have you done yeah well you know i i've really spent a good portion of this last year of my life um delving back into photography in a way that i haven't in a while so this is something that i've always had a really big passion about i've probably been taking photography or taking photographs um and dabbling in photography for the last six seven years um, and when I first got into it, you know, I was always posting pictures and I was, I had a Flickr account that I was really active with and, um, building this sort of online portfolio of all the shots that I loved. And then over the years, um, as I took a position at this, this job that as we discussed at the very beginning, uh, I won't have for much too longer, but uh, as I took a position where I, I started, um, doing much more, uh, in the creative fields and, um, doing web design and, and video and all of that, I, I pulled back from my own personal um, photography portfolio. And it's only until recently that I, I've wanted to have one again. And so I set out to decide where I was going to put these photos because we all know that Flickr's had a really troubled history. Um, I, I think it's a phenomenal product yeah. and I have uh, like a lot of affection for it actually. Um, but it just has been very, very stagnant over the years. Um, and just looking at it, it looks like uh, uh, an artifact of an older web. The The images are a lot smaller and the design is very early 2000s. Um, so so that didn't seem and like... given its parentage, the forecast is not great. Exactly. And, and so you're just not exactly sure how long it is for this world. I, I heard rumors a while ago and I linked to it, but I heard rumors that it was up for sale. Um, that was before Yahoo got bought entirely. So I'm not sure where that is. Um, but yeah, you just never know. You never know where, where Flickr is going to be. And then I'm actually not sure how to say it. Is it 500 PX, 500 pixels? Um, does anybody? I say 500 pixels. 500 pixels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's another website that I, I've used in the past, um, which is an excellent website. Um, but as I was looking at it, I just realized, man, this isn't exactly what I want. It, it seems like, I think I made the joke that it's for very serious photographers, um, and though I love taking photographs, I don't know if I would call myself one of those. Uh, and so that didn't seem like the right space either. And I was just thinking, man, where do these photos go? And uh, I just found myself being drawn to Unsplash as that space. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much I talked about it in the article or not, but part of the reason that I, I found Unsplash to be a great fit to begin with is because I've always been very happy to share my photos with the world. Um, all of the photos that I published in on Flickr years ago went into Creative Commons, um, and I, I like that. I think it's it's awesome to be able to to put some put some creativity out into the world and allow other people to use it. Sure. So Unsplash, which is known for um, allowing these uh, no attribution necessary photographs, uh, was was a fine fit for me, where many other people would be 
not at all interested in doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Unsplash has had a really interesting few years of development. I remember when it was just a Tumblr blog. and uh, Same here. Yeah, that's where I discovered it. Yeah. And I think that you could submit photos, but it, it was a hack, you know, how you could do all of that. And, and the, whole, the whole thing just kind of felt slapped together. Um, and now it is a, it's a real platform that's got some, some beautiful components to it. And the images are just displayed wonderfully. And the community they've developed is, is really excellent. Um, it's cool. Even when I posted this, this article, I don't believe I, yeah, I didn't like tweet it to them or anything and they ended up finding it and retweeting it. And, uh, it seems that there's a lot of love. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't, I didn't do that. They, they, they found it themselves. Um, I think one of the, one of the people that, that works in the community follows me, um, or it might've been through medium itself, but, but regardless, you know, they just really love championing their product because you can tell that it's a labor of love and a lot of the people that are contributing to it, uh, feel that love as well. So it's, it's a really neat platform that I think has a good future ahead of it. And I like being able to put my photos there. You know, I, I read that article, uh, was it maybe a year ago or so where they started talking about the mm-hmm. financials behind Unsplash? Like I'm, I'm an accountant at heart, so the numbers just, yeah, they float my boat and I loved, oh, was that an awesome article looking in behind the scenes as to like the real cost of running such a, I had no yeah. idea Unsplash was right. so big. Like I have no idea where it would rank amongst the big photo platforms, but I, Instagram, okay, it's huge. Um, but, but Unsplash is working its way up there. Yeah, it really is. What's impressed me is how they've sort of managed to grow a community without necessarily intending to, I think it's, it almost happened for them. Uh, <laughs> whoops. Yeah. Like where other, where other, <laughs> uh, sites like Flickr and like 500 picks, they, they do this. Oh, I said picks. Wow. Mm. See now you've, you've ruined I'm me. I'm sorry. Too. I'm sorry. Yeah. I put <laughs> doubt in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, where they sort of set out to be like a community for photographers and sharing and uh, uh, Unsplash was really not a social thing at the start. I mean, it was a very generous thing. It was very like public facing and here things we're giving you things, but it wasn't necessarily its own place where people interacted and, and did stuff and existed together as a community. And that's that's evolved over time. And I think it's amazing because it's so genuine. Um and it, it just feels different than any of the other ones. And uh, w- one of the things that I, you know, a question that came to my mind immediately when you were um, discussing your your sort of pathway there, Drew, was to ask you, like, if if we were to ask point blank, what exactly is your goal in, in finding a home for these photos, right? Like, I, I think that this is where it differs for a lot of people because some people put it on Flickr because they're after vanity metrics, right? They They want the likes, they want the re whatever is it it's just it's for them that's their their uh that's their goal and they think that that is sort of equivalent to exposure but i get the feeling that you and the other folks who have started to move towards unsplash have a kind of different uh a different goal for for why so i don't know if maybe you've ever thought of it in those terms but uh, what what was it about unsplash that kind of fit the the intention of why you wanted your photos to be out there on the internet yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and you know it is something that I've I've considered, but maybe more subconsciously than 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 consciously. Um, but when I when I think about it, I think that a major component of it is just that I'm taking these photos and I I want to share them, um, but I'm maybe even less interested in sharing them explicitly than I am just with with storing them somewhere that I know that others can see them and that I can see them. Um, you know, I post a lot to Instagram. But Instagram has that very ethereal feel to it, where even though the photos are always there, 
you just have to scroll through this huge thing. And if you want a high resolution version of it, you can't get it. Um, and, and honestly, even just being able to have a high resolution, uh, version of a photo that I know I can access five years from now is a, is a big deal to me because, um, many people would cringe when they hear this, but I just have a, a bad track record of keeping my own files around. Um, you know, we talked about it last time, but everything is just in, in the cloud, um, in, uh, in the photos app of the iPad. I don't have like major backups or anything like that. Um, and so I really love being able to, to pass that on to someone else, um, and make that their responsibility. Um, so for that, for that reason, I've used Unsplash, right, yeah. um, but, but seriously, I mean, it was one of those things where the, 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 their correct solution was looking at me in the face the entire time, because I really do just think that, um, this is a really neat way of being a creative person and contributing to the world. Um, and I love the fact that there are all these people that are looking for photos for their own projects or for their own, you know, personal needs or even for work needs. And they come to this website and they find them. And it's been neat. I've seen my photos in very strange places, including BuzzFeed articles. And um, it was a, a feat, one of the photos I took was on like a, a advertisement for a Snapchat filter in the middle of a Business Week article and all these, you know, strange, strange places. And it's, it's, <laughs> that's awesome. So cool. Wow. Yeah. It's just kind of delightful, you know? Um, and instead of them just sitting on a hard drive somewhere, you know, they're being out in the world and used. And there's something that I, I appreciate about that. It's less about me trying to make a name for myself or make a buck off of the photo and just knowing that this, this, this moment that I captured is being appreciated by um, myself and others. And there's, there's something really neat about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we have to circle back to the making a buck part because that's that's where we start getting into the uh, the the questionable side of of this whole movement. But that's right. Um, just before we get there, I wanted to mention that um, I think it was shortly before your article went live, um, a fellow by the name of Samuel Zeller wrote a very similar piece about why he had made all his work available on Unsplash and. Uh, what struck me is, as you were just saying this, that you wanted a sort of um, a, a permanent archive that people could refer to and get high resolution versions of images and things like that. Uh, well, he actually, you know, he has his stuff on Unsplash, but he also created a uh, an archive site where he literally has done that. He's made every photo of his available and he's organized it by location and by things like that. And he's just sort of made it available. It's like his own little personal unsplash mm -hmm. um, that has the same license and the same everything. Um, I, I think that's kind of cool. It's it's such a um, it's such an alien thing compared to the very uh, the very private, the very wary attitudes that we're kind of used to seeing. I think in the photography community, people are generally very very careful about. Oh, I want watermarks on my images and only tiny resolution, so you can't use it. And da 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 da. Like there's always roadblocks in the way. Whereas you and uh, and Samuel and and these other folks who are, are making this leap are kind of saying, you know what? Screw all of that. Just just find a home for these images. They're not doing anybody any good sitting privately on my hard drive with watermarks all over them. So do do something with them. Enjoy them, uh, which I think is nice. I mean, they, honestly, there's a lot of appeal in that for me. Um, but I do I do also hear the the counter argument, and it would be remiss of us to not address that because um, I think that the professional photography community looks at this with horror because. Um, it's hard enough as it is to get people to pay for professional imagery. So when you suddenly develop an, uh, you know, a tremendous resource of, uh, it's essentially like a stock site where everything is free. Um, 
And thinking of the long-term implications of that on the industry of photography as a, as a professional, well, as a profession, um, it's kind of it's kind of murky. I, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that. Um, well, well, maybe to be clear, I am probably not the right person to ask that question because I, I find myself nodding my head vigorously with a lot of the things that Samuel Zeller uh, said. And uh, in fact, I didn't mention in my article, but a couple years ago, I also rolled my own Unsplash um, for the the nonprofit and church organization that I work for, actually. Um, I was taking a lot of photos that I know I knew would be helpful for these different different groups. And so I created this website called Photos for the Dot Church. Um, and it's just a Tumblr, like Unsplash used to be, um, full of these images that people could right. download. Um, and, you know, I... I explicitly put on that website that there was no attribution necessary, that anybody could use them. And um, I just kind of left it there. It's it's not something that's updated consistently because I had this set of images that I knew people would want. Um, but yeah, so trying to make trying to make money off of the images has never been my, my big idea in the first place. But I do know that that is uh, for other people. And even, man, I mean, just the stock photography on the whole. Um, is taking a huge hit, I would imagine, from products like Unsplash existing. Because whereas before people would type in that word that they needed um, into a stock photo website and and get the image out of that, uh, they can just go to Unsplash now. Um, and uh, I don't know if I have the answer for whether it's right or wrong or, or how I necessarily feel about it, but I, I do think I want to point out that this has been happening for a long time before Unsplash came around. Uh in fact, that's one of the things that I knew about as somebody who was using Creative Commons on Flickr is that um, all kinds of people would grab my photos off of uh, my Creative Commons Flickr and use them for their for their articles. Yeah, um, I took this one photo that was uh, a visual depiction of writer's block, and that photo has been everywhere. It's been on LA Times and BuzzFeed. And anytime that someone wants to write about um, that National Novel Writers Month or writer's block in general, that photo gets used. And it gets used because it's free. And these uh, journalists weren't looking to spend money on photography in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that many people would hear that and have a huge counter argument to how that's the problem as well and all of that. But I do just think it's important <laughs> to say that it's not Unsplash here that's come on the scene and totally disrupted things. Um, they've just definitely moved the needle a good deal by making it a lot easier and the quality of the photos a lot better. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they're they're sort of the catalyst um, that's accelerated this movement. And I think as a result, they're taking the brunt of the criticism, even though they're they're really just a natural evolution of what was happening already. Um, but I, I do think that, yeah, they're, they're kind of in this awkward place where because they're the heralds of this new um, era, they're kind of taking the brunt of the criticism for it when, you know, really they're just running a, a, a smart business here. But um, I, I do like thinking of it as someone who does work professionally in photography, among other things, I do wonder how it will impact um, people who are not in a position where they are able, like even if, here's the thing, like there's there's this strange duality that's set up where it starts to feel like, oh, if you charge for photography, you're an asshole. Look at all these nice people who are just giving their stuff away for free. Why can't you be like them? And, and you, you know, you know it's, it's kind of an unfair uh, dichotomy that, that gets set up there because that's not really what's going on, but it feels like it. And you start to feel like a bit of a dick because you're like, well, no, but I worked hard on that. Isn't that worth something? Can't you pay me? I like 
like to, I want to eat too. Exactly. And that's where it gets, that's why I'm saying this is murky and that's where uh, I'm struggling with it because quite frankly, on a, on an instinctual level, I'm right there with you, Drew. I'm right there with Sam. I think that this is a really amazing way to allow your photos to actually be useful in, in a, in a broader way to not limit their reach, um, in the interest of a profit system that may or may not have a future. And that's kind of where I'm steering this is trying to figure out, okay, let's say that this becomes the norm, right? This is just what happens. Then what exactly does professional photography mean anymore? This is going to kill stock. Let's just, I think that's safe to say stock is going to die. We can all agree on that. Yeah. I think that's already done largely. Yeah. Let's just say that's fine. Stock. I'm very sorry, but you guys are on the way up. So then you have to ask yourself, all right, let's say I give, you have this archive of images. It's great. Is the profit system there that I'm going to get people calling me and saying, hey, we love the kind of work that you do. None of the existing images work for us. We'd like to hire you to do a shoot. Is that the, is that the sort of end game of this? Because yeah, I think that isn't that, uh, that Samuel's uh, point is that uh, he calls it like a try before you buy type system where he's put these photos online exactly. and now yeah. people are going to come yeah. after them, which, which to me is very reminiscent of what, you know, um, software has gone through uh, with the app store and things moving from uh, paid apps to free apps to subscription apps. And uh, it, it does seem like we're in a world where when there is a certain saturation point, which we can also agree has happened, right? You know, photography isn't yeah. this thing that is limited to people that can buy the gear. Now people can buy the, um, the camera that takes selfies, <laughs> uh, and instantly upload some photos to Unsplash, hopefully not selfies, um, and totally disrupt things. Um, so once that happens, there has to be a change. There, there's no way that things can continue going the, the way that they used to. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is this is a new model for, for gaining exposure, which again, I know there's a total counter argument to exposure never being the end all be all that it's called to be. But I believe that Samuel says that one of his biggest clients of all time came to him because of his free photos. And I would, I would wager that quite a few people have stories like that. Yeah. And that's good. But I, my, my concern is setting aside the, those anecdotal levels, like is he sustaining himself on clients that he's gotten through these means? Right. Is cause that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out is the future of this. Like, yes, we, we admit right. that it's going to kill some industries. Some, some stuff's going to go away, but is there actually a sustainable career as a photographer around this new model? Because if not, that's a concern, right? Even if we can't stop it, it's something that we should be aware of. And I think that's the that's where the discussion gets kind of tangled online is because a lot of people are arguing as though this is something that can be stopped or reversed or something like that, which no, I, I don't think it can. I mean, this is no. the same thing as people who are like, oh, Apple can't remove the headphone jack. And like, I'm sorry, it might be inconvenient now if they do it, but it's going to happen eventually. Like we're not always going to have headphone jacks on phones and devices. So this is kind of a, sometimes the march of progress is a little quicker than we'd like. Um, but ultimately it's about finding out where it leads us. And that's, that's where I struggle. And that's where I think Josh is going to jump in here and, and give us a little bit of, uh, I'm itching. Yeah. All right, go, go, go. Okay. So first off, I got to defend Flickr a little bit here, just a little bit. Yeah. I like it. You know, it's old and Drew doesn't like it. And, and it's a little bit, uh, you know, Yahoo, like I just don't trust Yahoo. I mean, just the name alone, I don't trust. But anyway, <laughs> you know, Flickr, it, it's iffy. However, um, like earlier this year, the 
I, I w- like I wouldn't call them a client, but anyway, I, I was approached by a company and um, they found one of my photos on Flickr and, uh, you know, they, they licensed it. They put it up on a billboard. That's led to more jobs there. This has been led to that. And one thing after another. And, you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here going like I've got enough. I've, I've made enough in licensing fees to be able to, like, take a big step uh, um, in my life, like personally. And so, like, if would I, you know, I have to ask myself, like, would I be sitting here now in the position I am if I had put my photos on Unsplash or into any Creative Common? Like, uh, probably not. So maybe I'm the, I mean, maybe I'm the external or not the, that's not the right word. Uh, like the random guy, the rare person who's sitting off of the the line chart, right? Uh, you know, the line graph. Maybe I'm the, the that weird oddity. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I can attribute where I'm sitting personally, like directly to Flickr, directly to it. And therefore I have a little bit of loyalty to it in a way, not Flickr per se, but I maybe have a loyalty to the attitude that, um, uh, just that I'm afraid of giving my photos away for free. And, you know, I've sat here after all of this has kind of taken place and I'm thinking, okay, like what can I do to boost or continue the, the momentum or continue the sales or whatever I have to do? So, you know, I continue to put photos on Flickr and, and so on. But that, as you guys have kind of mentioned already, it's not all that successful. I think I got really lucky earlier in the year. So, if I look at Unsplash, you know, I, I've thought there's a bunch of different directions you can go. You can go to Flickr and put your stuff on there and people can find it that way. Or you can make your own portfolio, which is probably the dumbest of all of them because, you know, people have to look you up on Google and or like specifically, it's hard to find people that way. Um, you could put them on to uh, what's up? Well, Instagram. Uh, you yeah. could put them on Instagram. Instagram is where I've been putting a b- bunch of mine. But again, Drew nailed this one. You got to s- scroll through it. And searching is a little bit difficult because people have to tag their photos with hashtags in order to find them. And it, long and short, it's it's hard to discover. You can discover new photographers, but maybe discovering a specific photo is hard to, to find. So Unsplash is like this, this natural one that I'm, I'm looking at. But like... I'm so apprehensive in putting my stuff onto Unsplash and and knowing that like ugh, I'm never going to be able to make a dollar on that photo. Okay, but see this is why like that is a perfect anecdote here because your experience is exactly the opposite of Drew's in the well of I, let's use Sam as an example because he had the same kind of thing where a big client emerged from from his Unsplash thing. Uh both of those I think have equal weight and this is where it becomes difficult because Ultimately, what would make this discussion tenable is for you to say, okay, I'm going to put some photos on Unsplash and I'm going to keep the ones on Flickr. Is the extra exposure that I'm getting from the Unsplash photos? Right. Does it lead to more? Exactly, exactly. And that's the that's the big question mark. Right. I think, like, without a doubt, I'm kind of spoiled here. Like I've said before, you know, I went a year ago, somebody contact me, contact me in an email and said, hey, Josh, like I'm willing to pay you for a photo. And I went, holy crap. Like somebody wants to pay me for a photo yeah. that I shot on my own fun time. Like it, it's truly like extraordinary. It's one of the craziest feelings I've ever had. And and so I started there and now I look at things and I'm like, not only do I, you know, 
I still think I might undervalue in comparison to what some photographers might value their photos at. But like now I'm more like, holy crap, it costs a lot of time. It costs a lot of skill. It costs a lot of money in a lot of cases to like create a photograph that fits for a company. And, And so, you know, I think in the end, you talked about a bit of an end game here. And I think the end game is commission work professionally. Um, you know, wedding photographers are commissioners, commission workers, right? Like you pay them, they come out, they shoot photos, they deliver a product after, you know, like that's kind of where the money, I wouldn't say that the money's always been there. Like there's definitely money in licensing still. Um, but I, I think that the money in photography is going to be heavily skewed towards the commission side. And I don't know, in my case, maybe I'm the lucky guy who got paid to, who, who got paid on, you know, I threw my stuff out there for exposure and I got lucky enough to get paid for those photos. And then that led to com- commission work, whereas others might be less lucky and they have to throw their photos out there for free and then they get the commission work. You know what I mean? I think at the end of the day, the, the end game is commission work and how you get there um, might just end up costing or not costing. That's not the right word because it doesn't cost anything to shoot that photo and put it out into the wild. Or it costs very little, I guess. It's an opportunity cost rather than a... That's right. Right, right. Um, But, you know, it just might end up... Some people might be less profitable in the in in the means to the end if if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, actually, you you kind of brought up a really cool distinction because wedding photographers and um, fashion photographers and and folks like this who don't depend on stock at all, who, like, for them, it's just an entirely separate world I don't think Unsplash really has any impact because everything that they shoot by definition is custom work, right? Like you're not going to be able to get, you know, Unsplash images of your brand new unreleased product. Like that's just not a thing that happens. So I think that right. there's certain segments. But how do those people get discovered? Well, exactly. Right? Like how do they start with it? Some of them are already there, right? I'm, I'm thinking right. I'm thinking of, of right now, those folks are not in threat. They're, they're really not... Their jobs aren't going away, but the stock folks, they might be forced to adopt a different kind of photography than they might like. Like if someone's been comfortably making a living off stock photography because they don't want to shoot weddings, uh, you know, if the stock dries up, what do they do? Their skill set can only be applied in so many other places, weddings being one of them. Um, and there is always a market for weddings uh, for some reason. So there's there's a lot of... I don't know. There's to me, it's just a it's it's going to be a very interesting next decade or so in the professional photography community. Um, I hope I hope optimistically that um, this is kind of much ado about nothing, and we will find ways to adapt without a lot of people losing their their you know source of income and without feeling like they have wasted skills and things like that. I mean, I I do I think that there's probably the potential in the industry and given the the growing demand for imagery in general for there to be enough um enough exposure value in putting your stuff on unsplash you know enough jobs will come out of it that you could hopefully make a living getting commissions but right if everyone starts doing it then is that still the case i don't know that's that's what worries me right like at at this current scale i do think it's possible you know if i if i put my images up maybe we get commissions maybe there's enough of them that i can make a quote unquote living doing just that but if everyone does it then suddenly i yeah so just just so that i kind of like put it all on the table here um you know i i, I made a good chunk of change i i, I admit like I, I got lucky cool um 
and a lot of people, not a lot of people, I haven't talked to many, many people about this, but you know, who I have talked about, they've all said like, Oh, like, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to like, maybe like reinvest and buy another camera to make sure that I'm prepared for the next event or whatever. And I've, and you know, my answer to that has actually been like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep it and I'm going to save it. And I don't think I'm going to actually buy it. I, I, Marius don't hold this to me. Okay. I don't think I'm going to buy a whole lot of camera equipment, if any, with it. Drew, just to, just to catch you up here for some context, I've made a bet that, <laughs> that Josh is going to have a new camera by Christmas. So perfect. That's now, that's now on uh, the air. Everyone is aware of it. We'll revisit this. Yes. I've got the whole world to keep me, keep me accountable. So, you know, like I, I'm trying, I'm looking at it and I think this is, this is a lucky chance. This is, I, I, I think the market is changing to the point where I, I just don't see myself being able to sell stock photos for this price like ever again. Maybe if I get lucky, sweet, but I, I just, I doubt it. And therefore I'm not reinvesting what I've made into this type. So I want to put that on the table that I'm actually like more or less, I agree with both of you guys that without a doubt, I think this, I wouldn't say breed of photography, but whatever stream you want to call it is, uh, on its way out it's dying or it's it's going to be more and more difficult to to make money on it um i got lucky i really really appreciated it um and it really has spoiled me for you know i, I look at drew's photos and i think like oh like these are amazing photos and he's just giving them away and it, it gets a little like knot in my stomach because it's like dude drew like you could make so much money doing this but but could then he, again like he but could he yeah. is is really the real question right yeah but I, hey I, I mean, unless Drew's got a comment, I got a big question for him because now we can like wrap this all around. Ask away. I admit that I, I think I need to put some photos on Unsplash because like it's the, the service, the platform is way too big to deny. And I think that I got to try putting myself out there in, you know, in the hopes that maybe I can find that commission work I, I talked about earlier. So like, how do you choose what to put on Unsplash. You can't keep, you can't put, every, do you put everything on it? No, I definitely don't put everything on it. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I really just try to think about photos that people would find beneficial. Um, like uh, if I look at my stats right now uh, and we look at the photos that people have liked more than any of the others, uh, or, or not liked, but downloaded to actually use, um, the, the first one is a, a real pretty shot of a latte. Of course. The second one is a bakery. The third one is a living room. The fourth one is a wedding photo. The fifth one is a coffee shop. And the sixth one is, um, some books. Oh, and the seventh one for our Canadians is a shot of Ottawa. Cause it's, it's real pretty there. Um, woo. Yeah. Oh, Canada. So, uh, you know, a. that says something, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Thank you. That, that says something, right? It's that, you know, these, these are photos that are, that are slightly innocuous in nature. Um, in, in fact, a really funny thing just happened to me where, uh, a friend of mine was developing a, a web platform. He had a, 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 like a page for this training, this training platform he's putting together. And he said, Hey, which one do you like a, B or C? And it was like a header image on top of the website with, um, that was trying to represent, uh, the, the, the training platform as a whole. And uh, the first one was um, like some binders. The second one was um, like a field notes pen and pen and pen and paper. And the third one was actually my shot of books. He had no idea it was it was mine. Um, 
so awesome. yeah, so you know, obviously, <laughs> when I took that picture, that picture works for just tons and tons and tons of different reasons, and and actually, a lot of these photos I'm taking for me for headers for my blog every day, and I think of them as photos that would work for other blogs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I try to take these, or I try to upload these photos that 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 work for a, a variety of different reasons. So I've never really uploaded any pictures of people. Definitely no pictures of faces. Um, I very rarely um, post anything that seems very very specific. Uh, it's it's typically stuff that I think other people would would find a lot of use out of. Um, and if I scroll all the way to the bottom, just for fun, um, the 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 least used photos of all time um, are. I mean, I guess they're not the most specific stuff. There's a couple of silhouettes of people um, that are like very obvious who that what the silhouette is. Um, there's some like just flower shots, some grassy shots that I'm sure uh, there are there are many, many, many more of those on Unsplash that are either more popular or just plain better than the ones that I've taken. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that I just found some photos that that people people enjoyed or, or found a need for themselves. Uh, one of these photos is, is really new and it just shot to the, the top of my photo pile because people wanted it, you know? Hmm. Interesting. I, so I, I got to jump into one more. You said that you definitely don't upload any photos of people. And I will admit on my side of things, um, the photos that I've sold, 90% of them yeah, have people in them. Yeah, and I, I dabbled with. Um, I was I was at a just beautiful sunset with my wife, and I took some silhouettes from the back. And actually, the the, the top photo on my unsplash right now is a pair of my shoes and a hammock. Um, so I'm I'm looking more at that kind of stuff. But part part of the reason that I say I don't have uh, pe- pictures of photos is because I I kind of feel weird about that. You know, if I'm taking a picture of somebody. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, and I'm saying, yeah, this photo is now free for anybody to do whatever with, you know, that's sort of strange. In fact, uh, the, the one photo of people's hands uh, on a wedding, that, that one's already been kind of strange. The, the people that are the, the hand models, so to speak, love it. They think it's absolutely funny, but it has been all over the Internet for some very strange things like, so you're a new Mormon wife, um, which is, you know, not not the, <laughs> the real story behind the hand, you know, um, which, you know, every once in a while, people will, uh, you know, add attribution. That's that's why I kind of know. Uh, in fact, like today, somebody tagged me on Instagram with an Unsplash photo. So I, I have no idea where they are in the Internet unless people tell me about it. Um, but, yeah, you know, and maybe that's an entire thing I, I'm missing out on is uh, maybe those photos would be the most popular of all. Although there, there's something I, I also don't necessarily feel like I'm, I'm very skilled at doing. I don't have a lot of portraiture or photos of people in general. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. It's it's just something that whenever I feel like a photo could be used by other people, I just try to upload it to Unsplash. And uh, honestly, just the 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 response from Unsplash itself has been motivating to me that they they you know tweet out my new pictures or my my profile or or like send me nice little responses when I tweet about posting them and. It just feels good. It feels good to be part of a community that 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 cares and is thankful for the work that I'm doing. As long as they can scale that, right? Because that's always easy when you're small. But once they're the size of Flickr, then do they still feel human and friendly and everything like that? Right. And I believe it's what they have eight thousand photographers right now, something like that on there. Yeah. Which which I would I would guarantee that that they're not all active. So I, I would be even more curious to know how many photographers are consistently using it again and again. 
which I, I would I would wager is is actually quite small. Um, yeah, so you're totally right. It, it it'll be very interesting to see where it goes. But I have no doubt that no matter where it goes, this is the new normal. And whether it's Unsplash or someone else, they this is a this is a an idea that's here to stay. Yeah, I agree. I cannot I can't stand here and deny that. No way. I totally agree. But man, I don't know if I'm happy that I have to agree with you. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> There's also this weird legal angle that I, I wonder, like, what happens if you take a picture that includes some clear branding or something like that, and it ends up being used for something that the company gets really grumpy about? Because, like, you can't, you can't unshare something when you put a license like that on it it's permanent so you know are, are you you i'm curious if you're referring to one of my photos because i just thought that same thing with the last batch of photos that i i posted i posted a image i wasn't actually but of a microsoft hololens that new augmented reality right? uh visor that they have um i just ended up taking yeah. a picture of it on a table because it looked really pretty and i posted it and as yeah. i posted it i thought i wonder what the implications of this are because i've never had a a true um, product in a, in a shot of mine before. Um, like the one above it is a coffee shop that has a little bit of branding, but that, that seems totally different to me than it is just a straight up image of a product. You know, if somebody posted an image of a PS4 on there, what, you know, what, what, what ramifications does that have? But of course there's plenty of field notes and there's plenty of iPhones and there's plenty of these kinds of images, <laughs> yeah, but, you know? Oh, yeah, field through. notes. Hey, Marius, how do you feel like that? About that? Oh, man. Marius? Yeah, Marius? Yeah. Marius? Yeah, I thought <laughs> no, so. Nothing. No, but listen, this this is the reason I'm asking because, for example, um, there uh, just sort of speaking of knowing where your photos end up, there's a very cool service. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it called uh, Pixie, which is, I believe, spelled P-I-X-S-Y um, dot com. And what they do is they actually do reverse image searches to, to help you find where your images uh, go. So you connect them to your Flickr account or your Instagram or whatever. And then they say, hey, this image is being used in a commercial context here. You might want to do something about that. Oh, no. Or here it's being used in a non-commercial context, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's for people who are, I mean, the, the point of it is to combat image theft, but I imagine it's also uh, kind of like, kind of like analytics for the Unsplash generation. Yeah, I was about to ask. So if you, if you hook it up to Unsplash, does it just blow up or is it able to handle that? <laughs> well, since I don't, I've not connected it to Unsplash, so I don't even know if it's possible to do that, but it would be an interesting experiment to see if we could melt their, uh, their little system. Uh, but the reason I, the reason I mentioned it is because one of the images that most frequently gets stolen or stolen, used, whatever, from, from my own set, um, people love to use the images that I took, uh, way back when for my Kindle versus Kobo review. I find those on all sorts oh, I of bet you do. articles related to, to stuff like that. So, my thinking is that's the kind of thing where it's clearly a product image. Like that's not something that's of general usage. So what is the place for something like that on, on Unsplash? Would I be worried about the legalities of it? Do they have anything in place? Should they at some point put something in place? Cause I could make, you know, we could collectively do this thing where all the tools and toys, uh, you know, photographers slash writers just put up an archive of all the photos that they took for, um, for the various products, and that's just on, on Unsplash. That's those are like public domain product images for those things. Like, is that? I don't know. I it's it's not even a question really. It's just kind of a a, a train of thought that I'm following and, and wondering where it leads. That was pick, Pixie P I Y. I think it's P I X S Y. Yep, that's it. 
it's a it's a pretty cool service. the The web app is a little janky, but um, the the functionality is there. And uh, if you can get through the the false flags, it, it can surface some uh, some interesting <laughs> interesting usage of your images. Oh, the thing that pops up is find your stolen photos now. I mean, that's again, that's the intention. <laughs> yeah. So maybe unsplash is not the good use case. Oh <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, man. Oh, well, I'm gl- really glad to get that off my chest because I wanted not necessarily to fight with anybody. That's not the point here. I I'm just like, I, I think I, I'm, you know, humble enough to realize I got quite lucky with this whole thing that went down. Um, and I, I wish other people would have like the same luck because then I don't know, it would just make everybody kind of value them, their own works, you know, not, not necessarily their own skill. I don't ever attribute mine to skill. I, I attribute it to being in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I, I, I wish other people had this experience, but at the same time, you know, if somebody came along to me and, and said, we're going to put your photo, for example, you know, Apple had they used a specific person's photo for the home screen image of what iOS eight or iOS nine. And they had no idea that that they were going to use that photo until it was released. And like, you know, somebody came along to me and said, we're going to put your photo in front of a billion people, but we're not going to pay you a dollar for it. Like I probably still wouldn't care. So it's kind of a fun conversation to have at the very least that yeah, and I, I don't want to open up a whole other can of worms, but I, I do. I am curious to know, you know, what both of you think about just the power of network and community and putting your photos in a network of people that care about your photos. And, and this is just my own sort of bias, I think, towards network and, and talking to people. Because I'm a people person. I love meeting people. And I mean, even just the fact that I've been writing for Tools and Toys. I didn't do that because my writing was excellent and it was displayed somewhere. I did it. Which it I, is, by the way. Which it is, but that's not why I did it. It's because uh, I DM Josh and I said, hey, can I write for you? Um, and 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 then also I had been writing for free for myself for a long time. And I was able to uh, send that work Josh's way. Uh, and actually, I might be there's a there's a chance that I might write something for Mac stories in the future. Awesome. Same thing. I messaged, you know, Federico Vitici and I said, hey, I have this idea for an article. It doesn't fit what I have. It fits what you have. Here's a bunch of stuff that I've done before. Here's some stuff that's in line. What do you think? Um, and, and I mean, in the same way, man, I can use Unsplash. And in fact, I do. It's a major part of my resume um, is saying, here's some photos that I've taken. Uh, and even the story that it tells, I get to say, yeah, I really believe in um creativity and and putting creativity back out into the world and distributing our ideas and sharing and isn't that just as valuable and maybe more likely than somebody coming along my flicker and saying I want that image well it certainly is the nicer version of it <laughs> well I just I just mean I just mean that you know like the, let's take the the example of the iPhone thing um and all these these amazing opportunities to have your your image displayed in front of lots of people or paid for a particular image. There, there's just so few opportunities in the world to do that kind of stuff. Um, there's no way that that can sustain every photographer. So it just it's really difficult for me to consider a world where every single person has an iPhone in their hands that can take excellent images and all of them being able to be paid for it. Um, so there has to be a new normal, right? And and networking seems like a way to sort of differentiate yourself from other people and and tell a story about your work and give examples of that work so that other people can 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 learn about it and then enter into a relationship and maybe contract. 
with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost, uh, I wonder if it's going to parallel the web where we're seeing things um, go from a bunch of independent blogs to um, people kind of consolidating that to where the network is, you know. Uh, but that's a totally valid concern. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why that's why I, I'm wary of all this. And I think that's why a lot of photographers in general are scared because they look at it and they're like, there's no way in hell that this model can sustain all of us. So does that mean there won't be as many of us out there? Does it mean we're going to have to do other jobs? Like it's uh, it's a shakeup for sure. But then blogging is actually a really interesting one where people have been saying for years that blogging is dead, but it's now like, you know, uh, in some ways going, experiencing its new renaissance. Yeah. And even though there are, there are so many opportunities for people to blog, I would say there's probably less people doing it, or it feels like less people doing it than the days of, you know, live journal and blogspot. Um, and so it seems, it seems like it's, it's actually grown easier to be noticed or have your voice heard because of tools changing and being able to take advantage of new components of the web, you know? Yeah. So it just, it's, it's hard. It's, it's always hard. And I think that we as like human beings are always afraid of change, um, especially when we've taken advantage of a system that now feels like it's going to the wayside. Yeah. Um, and I just, I guess I, I am just set up to always want to embrace change, um, and try to just figure out the new angle uh, as opposed to freaking out. Um, <laughs> but but maybe freaking out is is better. And uh, there's definitely uh, there's definitely reason to do so in many, many, many cases. Um, wedding photography is a great one. I mean, man, how many people said wedding photography is over? Now everybody just has an iPhone in their hand or or maybe better yet, anybody can be a wedding photographer now. It doesn't it doesn't have that same prestige as it used to. And man, I mean, they were kind of right right? It, it's changed a lot and prices for wedding photography has changed a lot. But at the same time, there's still pros out there doing it and they're doing it way better than everybody else. So there will still be people taking better stock than everybody else. And there will still be companies that want to pay for stock photos. Uh, there's actually one, there's actually one scenario that is, is kind of like it throws a wrench in the works of Unsplash here because there are a number of companies out there, and especially when you get into like the really high-end stock buyers, they want exclusive licenses and you can't do that. Exclusivity. Oh, I didn't bring that up. Exclusivity is huge. It's huge, right? Because you can't do exclusivity with Unsplash's model. That just doesn't work. You can't, It's not yours. Sorry, too bad. Right. You know, and, and that, that kind of... Uh, I, it almost sets aside a certain portion of the stock market to exist independently of this Unsplash stuff, which is good. But again, it's... We, we got to talk about this exclusivity thing because every single photo that I've sold is for exclusivity purposes. Totally. Yeah. And that's that's something that that is big in... Again, it's... It, as you, I found that as you scale up with the client, they're like, yeah, that's that's just mine now. You don't own it. Nobody else can use it ever. It is just mine. Right. And that's, yeah, I mean, you, there's no way to unsplash something like that. Unsplash the unsplash or un, un, unsplash. Un unsplash. Yeah, you know what? I, I was wondering if we could pick a title out of that, but no, it's too confusing. <laughs> I'm going to un unsplash that photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it went, it went somewhere. Uh, I'm see. I'm on the um, I'm on Drew's side of the equation. Obviously, medium and everything like that. I'm I feeling the same about photography, especially because for me, stock photography was never a thing. I have very little stuff on Flickr. I have very little stuff on 500 pics. I'm literally all commission and my own shit that I just do for fun. So, 
for me, the the promise of being able to toss, like I have a ton of photos that are just sitting decaying on my hard drives and on Backblaze's hard drives right. and things like that. Like that's sad to me ultimately because I I don't really want to be a stock photo photographer. Like I would rather put them on Unsplash. And the only reason I haven't is because I wanted to, same as with the blog, like I didn't immediately leap onto Medium even though I was there on day one. It's It's one of those things where I want to, get a feel for where it's going and and make sure that it's the right decision again because it's permanent medium isn't actually this is this is a little more scary because once an image has that license on it and is on unsplash it's gone like that there's no getting that image back so before i put images up there i just want to be uh convinced i think that 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 is indeed what i want to do with them and that it makes sense for for me and it's increasingly the case especially after this discussion with you drew i feel like that really does make sense for my situation Uh, i think much to the chagrin of all the professional working commission-based photographers out there but i it just i don't know again i just it feels sad to be sitting on a stockpile of images that and i'm not saying they're great images or anything but rather than just having them sit there, they might be perfect for someone's blog post. I'd be happy to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I I didn't discuss that either, but as somebody who is trying to get my groove back, so to speak, when it comes to creativity, it's been awesome. It's been an awesome, like, um, morale boost, honestly, to see my photos being used. Yeah, Um, it must be. Because, you know, you you always see, you're always so critical of your own work um, as a, as a creative person. And I certainly am with my photos. So, I think eh, that's okay. Like, man, I, the, the book one is actually a perfect example. I didn't even put any effort into the photo. I didn't think that much about it. I just needed a photo for a book. And in fact, it was a photo that I was considering replacing, which I, I almost never do. I thought, eh, that one's okay. I want to post this thing by 8.30 in the morning. Uh, maybe in the afternoon, I'll come back and post something new, uh, like take a new photo. Um, and I didn't. And I I ended up posting that photo on Unsplash because I thought, eh, it's pretty good. We'll, we'll see how it does. And that's been one of my most popular ones. So, you know, you just can't really trust yourself a lot of the times with your own creative work. Yeah, that's true. And Unsplash has been a reminder of the fact that what I'm doing is 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 being used and and is being enjoyed by people. Um, and honestly, it has been making my productivity and my like you know output of photography go up. So. Yeah, it's it just, it's, it's so crazy. And, and we could talk about, you know, all the variables forever, right? About the different ways that you could end up rolling into some sort of beautiful scenario of making money off of a thing. And yeah, you could put a bunch of photos on Unsplash and come out with a house. You could put one photo on Flickr and come out with a house. You could do both of those things and come out totally broke. Um, 100%. It's, it's, it's a real challenge to try and predict the thing that will work for you. Uh, and I guess I'm sort of a scattershot kind of person that's just happy to to try it all and and see what sticks. Yeah, the, the appeal of the Unsplash angle, though, is that while you're waiting for that, that house to drop, um, you're actually getting the encouragement, because that's really what it is. It's the encouragement of seeing right. a community of people using and enjoying your work. And, and frankly, that is um, very appealing to me because the, the nature of the photography that I do is very project focused it's very much just client work and i found that yeah a lot of it for me as well i found that i'm i'm sort of um i'm i'm going out and taking photos for myself less often in between those projects and i don't like that very much um i i think i i miss um 
it's not even a matter of motivation. I don't, I don't really know what it is, but I, I just don't find myself going out and, and taking photos just for the sake of it. And I'd like to, so I'm wondering if, if that motivation that, that you're talking about and that Unsplash provides would be a way for me to uh, just rekindle that, that desire and that, that need really to go out and, and explore things photographically, even when I'm not being paid to do so, even when it's not like my job, it's just, I, I'm compelled to do this because I enjoy it, which I do. And, and ultimately that's the, the weird thing is that I do enjoy it whenever I go out and I sort of like push myself out the door, it's great, but I, I'm not pulled out the way that I used to be. And maybe, maybe Unsplash is the missing link there. Yeah, it could be. Give it a try. Neither of you have Unsplash profiles? I have an account, but I don't have anything posted, okay. so... Come on, dudes. Yeah. Yeah, you're... Get on. Sorry. You're right. Sorry. Dropping the ball. 